BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Unfiltered, powered by PointsBet. I'm Lawrence Holmes, in for David Kaplan. The Blackhawks introduced their new coach to the city. Our guy Charlie Romeliotis gives us some insight into how Luke Richardson plans to bring the team back to greatness. Plus, Candace Parker just did something that's never been done in the history of the WNBA. And the Chicago legend comes home. D. Brown reflects on his career and what's in store as he becomes the new head coach at Roosevelt University. It's unfiltered. It's powered by PointsBet, and it starts right now. Here are tonight's top stories brought to you by Four Seasons Heating, Air Conditioning, Plumbing, and Electric. A flurry of moves on the eve of the NBA free agency, including a huge trade between the Spurs and Hawks. All-star guard DeJounte Murray is going to Atlanta for Danilo Gallinari and three first-round picks. Several coaching legends, including Roy Williams and Jim Calhoun, are headed to the Hall of Fame. Richard Hamilton, one of Calhoun's biggest stars and former Bull, will be inducted alongside his coach. And the nation's former number one basketball recruit is going back home. Amoni Bates is leaving Memphis for Eastern Michigan. I'm an optimist, and I, I feel like, you know, I, I want to go win every game. And I'm going to approach every game like that. But, you know, realistically, we have to take steps. And, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned the other day, we want to be better today than we were yesterday. And then, then we want to be better again tomorrow. And that's the philosophy that I take. And to do that, you have to have commitment and hard work and, uh, and trust. And I think having trust is building relationships with your older players, but also your younger players coming in and making sure that your uh, message is clear. Everybody knows their roles. And uh, doing that, you, you can uh, achieve execution in what you're planning to do uh, quickly and on a better path. Like, I think, uh, you know, we want to cut the, the lows to a shorter time and, and our highs, we want to lengthen them out as far as we can. And doing that, we're going to have to take those steps. So one, two, three, four, we can't go 110. Um, you know, we can't skip anything. We have to do everything right, and it'll take a little time. I'm not sure how much time, but... Uh, uh, that's exciting. I like a challenge, and uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. Optimism mixed with some realism. Blackhawks' new head coach, Luke Richardson, setting the right tone off the mat as the new era of Blackhawks hockey begins. Okay, let's start with the Blackhawks, Pete, and let's talk about what happened today. Our insider, Charlie Romeliotis, is in the house. Brothers, good to see you again. Good to see you, as always, Lawrence. This is a big day for the Blackhawks, right? Yep. Yeah, big day. So so why was Luke Richardson the choice to be the new head coach? Yeah, I think it was a... Obviously, a lot of different factors, but the Blackhawks are about to embark on a longer-term rebuild here, right? So maybe going after a higher-profile name like the Barry Trotzes or the Paul Maurice or the Pete DeBoer probably weren't going to be high on Chicago's priority list and maybe vice versa as well. So they needed to get a guy that was going to grow with the team, right? Luke Richardson has been tabbed as that guy. So 
Obviously, the Blackhawks are about to embark on a rebuild, but Richardson is going to be the guy to kind of lay the groundwork in the coming years. And then when the Blackhawks are competitive again, Lawrence, it feels like they want Richardson to be that guy as well. They're not, he's not just a placeholder type option. I thought it was interesting whether we were talking about Kyle Davidson or Luke Richardson. They were trying to, to thread the needle between development and winning. How can they make that work? Yeah, it's a good question because these next couple years are not going to be um, fun uh, in Chicago. Like the, It's probably going to be a lot of um, losing seasons, which might not be a, the worst thing when you look at uh, next year's draft class. But I think the Blackhawks and Luke Richardson specifically is going to try to lay the groundwork on the culture, um, working hard, holding players accountable. Um, and I think that's how you slowly try to lay the foundation uh, during a rebuild because it's not necessarily going to be about winning. It's going to be about the developmental of the, play, the, the development of the younger players, such as Kirby Doc, um, most notably. So I think that's where it's going to, if Blackhawks fans are going to be watching the team next season, it's going to be more about developing uh, the team, the younger players, and also just laying that foundation for, for the culture. I, I imagine that every Blackhawks fan was watching the Stanley Cup final and looking at both teams, like looking, yeah. looking, looking at Tampa going, this is what we were, and looking at Colorado and going, this is what we want to be. And Luke Richardson spoke to that. He spoke to he specifically about the, the Avalanche playing fast. Do, do the Blackhawks have at least a few pieces where Richardson could start to do that and we could see a change in style? Yeah, I think, and that's going to be a big priority for the Blackhawks moving forward and the players that they identify, right, whether it's going to be free agency or, or players that are coming in the draft. They do have someone in the pipeline right now, Lucas Reichel, who's 19 years of age, and he is going to be, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a full-time player next year with the Blackhawks, but um, they have guys that can play speed-type games, but now it's really honing and going after guys like that play up-tempo style in the upcoming draft. And then the coming years, next year's draft, they have two first-round picks. So it's going to be identifying those players. And, Lawrence, you mentioned, too, Colorado. I mean, that's as good of a team as any. They obviously just won the Stanley Cup. But at playing an up-tempo style of game, Colorado plays that. And that's what Kyle Davidson and Luke Richardson are going to try to identify uh, in the coming years with their players. I knew that you were going to jump in and ask some questions in the press conference. I'm like, there's my guy, Charlie, <laughs> getting in there. You asked about him talking to leadership. How important do you think that is for him to get off to the right foot? And how important is it to Luke Richardson? Yeah, it's crucial. And obviously, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, they've been franchise icons for 15-plus years. But also, Seth Jones, who, who just signed um, you know, an eight-year extension after being traded here last season. It was season. interesting that he mentioned Seth Jones. Yeah. Like, like that he, he, and usually we are used to hearing Kane and Taze. Right. But he was like, no, 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 Kane, Taze, and Seth Jones. Yeah, and if anything, I would argue that Seth Jones is probably the, the primary, um, he's like the guy right now that's really committed long-term with the Blackhawks. Like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, their contract expire after next season. So you wonder what their futures hold. But it's going to be important for guys like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Seth Jones, to really buy into this direction, even though as a player you want to win now. Um, but I think understanding the overall vision of the organization, you need those guys to really set the culture inside that locker room. And there's no one better than, than Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves who all they know is winning. The draft is coming up. Do you expect anything between now and then? I do. They, they currently don't have a first-round pick, uh, but I think Kyle Davidson really wants to try to acquire one. And not just acquire a first-round pick, like acquire one that can actually be inside the top 15, top 12, that can really make an impact. Because next season, they're going to have their own first-round pick, but they also have Tampa's. But Tampa's is probably going to be a later-round pick, right? So if you do try to trade 
maybe an Alex Dabrinkit or a Connor Murphy type player. I think they want to try to make that first round pick higher in the first round as opposed to later. And so I think if there is a splash that could be made, it'll be between now and the NHL draft next week. A big summer for the Blackhawks. This guy right here, he's got it all covered. Make sure that you read Charlie's work on the My Teams app. The NHL draft is the topic for tonight's tip of the cap, powered by PointsBet. The odds for the number one pick. There you see him. The Canadians will be on the clock, and they are wildly expected to take Canada's native son, Shane Wright, first overall. Time for our stat of the day, brought to you by our partners at Ankin Law. It's Candace Parker in a league of her own. She had another monster game today with 25-11-7. With that line, she becomes the first player in WNBA history with 6,000 points, 3,000 rebounds, and 1,500 assists. From one Chicago basketball legend to another, this was surprising and wonderful news over at Roosevelt University that D. Brown is now the head coach <laughs> at Roosevelt University, and he was nice enough to stop by our studios and hang out with us. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very, very blessed and very humble for the opportunity. Trust me, we, this is nothing I take for granted. Uh, being in your hometown and being able to take over a program such as Roosevelt University, I'm very excited. When you're a kid, did it even cross your mind that you would end up coaching one day? Uh, I knew I was going to play basketball and I was going to be somewhere in the athletic world. Um, just, just my passion for basketball, passion for sports in general, just off the charts coming from a town like Chicago. You got to love hockey, you got to love football, got to love baseball. You, we do it all kind of, but just to be in a basketball city, basketball state, and um, to get your first job as a coach and your dream is, is, is unbelievable. High school legend, college legend, you go to the NBA, you play overseas. When did it hit you that you were like, you know what, the next thing for me is going to be coaching? I got to get a lot of props to the guys I played with. Uh, I played with Derek Fisher. I played with Steve Nash. I played with Jason Kidd. Um, I've been around Steve Kerr. Um, Doc Rivers was from Proviso East. A lot of these great basketball minds, you know, the Bill Selfs of the world recruited me. Uh, I just felt like I got a lot of knowledge, a lot of philosophies, a lot of different way of thinking from playing in Europe that allowed me to be here today. And basketball, essentially, for me, growing up, was just lead. You know, go out there and lead. You know, one about, about scoring, one about, it was one thing, it was go out there and lead and, and compete and try to win. You know, I'm all about winning. So I uh, kind of had the idea of being into college athletics, but I just didn't know uh, what I wanted to do until about three, four years ago. So when you went back to your alma mater, U of I, and worked on the staff there, what, what, what hit you as, as being something that you can give to the game that maybe some other coaches can't? Um, first, I just I knew I was a lifelong learner. When I, was, when I got there, I thought, I thought I knew a lot about basketball, but I got around some good basketball minds. I'm like, I, I really don't know too much. I, I, I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. And uh, I just fell in love with just the process of going in every day and getting young men better on and off the court. And I just knew that was my calling. Steve McLean, your old coach at UIC that you worked with, Roosevelt just hired a winner. That's what he said about you. What does that mean to you to hear that? It means a lot. Like I, I just said, I, all my life, I, that was the ultimate goal was to win. Uh, I went to the pickup games at the park, went to the YMCA's. When I went to Proviso East, when I went to the University of Illinois, I wanted to bring the best talent, best guys around me, and I wanted to play for the best. So... When you have that mentality, it's all about winning. It's all about making sure you have the, the best of the best on, on, your, on your side 
and you go out there and you perform and you work you work at it. So for me, I just always been a worker, and all that work was going only gonna equate to when you see Michael Jordan holding that trophy, you see Steph Curry holding that trophy. That's all that hard work just pouring out of them. Like I worked this hard to to, to get this trophy and obtain this this one thing. And for me, I always had that feeling. I wanted to feel like, man, all this hard work, I'm gonna be a winner. I talked with some people around basketball a few years ago. I do a little bit of play-by-play. I talk with folks, and your name kept kind of coming up as, you know, someone to watch. Like, hey, you know, D's a guy that'll end up coaching. Being a head coach, different than being an assistant, <laughs> what, what are the things that, that you're excited about being in charge of a program? Oh, that's a great question. I think um, being able to hire and put people around me in position I feel won't be head coaches. And we all can grow together. And you start believing in people. You start, you know, telling people, man, you're very talented in this area. And you can go out and, you know, I want you to be a head coach one day. And, you know, these, these are some of the things you're going to go through. And let's go through it together. Uh, I just think just me being able to hire and, and, and impact a program in a way where these are my, my thoughts, but it's our, our, all our thoughts together in this mm -hmm. room coming in together into fruition for us to win. What do you think your relationship will be like with players? Because you're still young enough that they can go on YouTube and they can find all of the, the great moments of your college, NBA, and, and overseas career. But you're, you're probably going to be as old as their parents are now. So how do you, how do you try and relate and, and, and get the guys to, to understand what you want to do? Um, no matter how old you are, it's about work. I want guys to understand you got to work. You got to be a worker. You got to be a true competitor to, to be around me. Every, every day they come to the gym, they got to be smiling, got to be positive, and I want them to work. And if they, that, that translates on any, any generation, any age. Um, so for me, that's why you hire the right people around you as well. Get some youth in there so they can relate to, to us because it's, it's going to be about us. It's going to be about togetherness. Um, we're going to be unified. But for me, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be one of those coaches that they look at and know I care for them and know everything that I'm, I'm going to do on a, on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm going to expect the same thing from them. Chicago basketball is its own, like, entity. Yep. <laughs> what, why is it special for you to be of this, to be of Chicago basketball and now be coaching in downtown Chicago? I, I used to sit in the room with, the, you know, being those guys' shoes, sit in the room, dream of being Michael Jordan, dream of being Isaiah Thomas, dream to, of being on television, uh, 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 being uh, uh, these guys that you – glorify, um, and one day I was able to do that. How? Um, just through hard work, through um, a great upbringing by my mom. And me, this city taught me toughness, grit. You know, days I didn't feel like getting up to school, days I didn't feel like going to, to practice, you still got to go do it. If this is what you're trying to do in the long run, this is what you really want to do. You stand up and say, hey, I want to be a professional basketball player. I want to graduate college. Those things are hard. So for me, um, I just been in their shoes. And uh, this city is, is, is built on blue-collar toughness, and, and that's, that's who I am, and that's what I was raised in. What are some of the short-term goals that you have for Roosevelt, and what's kind of your long-term philosophy? Yeah, short-term goal is to really just unite the city, you know, have a new avenue for, for kids to stay home and play, build their brand, let their families come in and watch them play. And also degrees matter. You know, education is something I think people are not taking as serious anymore. Um, but degrees matter to us. The community matter to us. I mean, like we're going to do big things and go read the kids, go to hospitals. Um, I, want, I want guys to have a, a great experience when they come uh, downtown Chicago and get an education and play basketball. And, of course, the end game is always to win championships. Get degrees, win championships. And make sure when they come back, they always know 
they could talk good about their experiences and they can see something hanging up in the, in the facilities they played in. You've had a lot of coaches, college, pro, high school, AAU. What's something that's always stuck with you as a player that you can now take to being a coach? All my coaches cared about me. It was a tough love. It was without, like days I didn't play well, days I wasn't bringing my, I, I wasn't me. I knew they cared for me because they'd pull me to the side and tell me the honest God truth. And mm. I, that, for me, that, that stuck with me. Like, oh, they really care about me. They don't care about, you know, I'm, I'm out here scoring. I'm out here playing. I'm like, D, what's going on? Like, let's, let's, let's make sure you, you are right. Because when you're smiling, when you, when you yourself, uh, you make an impact on the world. So I just remember how much they cared for me on and off the court. Favorite playing moment for you? Favorite playing moment was uh, a trip to the Final Four here in Chicago up north and mo most people when they tell me their stories um, brings tears to my eyes because uh, you know rest in peace to my grandma rest in peace to my mother who uh, was at that game one of the one of the most special games of my career to get a trip to the final four down 15 with 357 to go in your home city marching back down to Champaign with the highways spread with people celebrating you uh, it was a special, special moment for the city of Chicago, for the University of Illinois, for the whole state in general, because uh, it showed us never give up, keep grinding, stick together, and you can make, you know, your dreams come true. Congratulations, man. This is a Appreciate big deal. It. Appreciate it. Uh, everyone's going to be rooting for you, and you know that. This right here is Chicago's very own. D. Brown is the man, and now he's going to be taking over at Roosevelt. So show him the love and show him the support so that we get Chicago basketball right back on the map. This guy right here, the best. Let's talk baseball. The one-man wrecking crew the Sox will be facing tonight in Anaheim, Shohei Otani. Last week, he did something that's never been done before. He had eight RBIs on June 21st. The next day, he struck out 13. He's the first player to ever accomplish both of those feats on back-to-back -back nights. Otani will be on the bump tonight against the White Sox. Let's bring in Scott Greger from the Daily Herald. Scott, big pitching matchup tonight, Otani versus Kopech. Why has Kopech really been able to drill down and be one of the best things about the 2022 White Sox? Lawrence, you know, he's, he's always had the arm. He's been showing it. You know, he hurt his knee a couple starts ago, but he's got that million-dollar arm. And, uh, you know, it's, he's getting his chance this year. You know, he missed two years, pitched out of the bullpen last year. So, you know, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to do, do pretty well. What is it going to take for this team to find itself? And, and luckily, there's a lot of time left, but what do they need to do to find it? You know, well, there's, it's, that's a long list, right? But uh, I would start, been beating it to death, um, stay, get healthy, just get healthy. Get Eloy back, get Liam Hendricks back get like Grandall back. Um, you know, no, nobody really knows what this team is because you really haven't seen it yet. So, I mean, there's still time. They're not like completely out of the race and uh, they really just have to get healthy. Luis Robert hit a 450-foot home run in last night's game. It was an absolute bomb. Even the pitcher knew the moment that it hit the bat that it was gone. Is he ready to take that next step as, as the White Sox look, they've got leadership. They've got Tim Anderson. They've got Jose Abreu. But is Robert ready to take that next step where we're talking about him all the time? You, you know, that, that's another great question. I think heading into the season, Lawrence, he was he was like with the odds, the MVP odds, he was like in the top five in the American League. Everybody knows what Luis Robert can do. You saw it last night with the bat. 
when he's healthy again, you know, here's another guy that it seems like his legs always, you know, you know, bothering him and that could maybe affects his speed on the bases a little bit, his defense a little bit. He's not getting the balls that you know he can get to. But yeah, I mean, you put this guy, he's still kind of young, but I mean, he's at that point right now where he should really be doing what he did last night, you know, on a regular basis. It's, it's not happening, you know, consistently yet, but uh, you know, if it if it happens in the second half, the, I, I think the White Sox are going to be in a lot better shape than they are right now. You've covered baseball for a long time. Have you ever seen someone come in and have the type of impact that Johnny Cueto has, like from someone who was pitching in the minor leagues to come up and, and essentially be one of the better starters that the White Sox have had? And he looks like the Johnny Cueto from, remember, I think it was 10 years ago at the Reds when he almost won the Cy Young in the uh, National League. Why he was sitting on the sidelines, I mean, I think that he, he wanted to go to a good team, which the White Sox were supposed to be, still can be. Um, but he was he was out there. Every team, you know how every team needs starting pitching. For them to get him, they didn't pay a whole lot for him. Um, you know, he had a decent year last year. He's been hurt with, you know, with the Giants the last couple of years, had some injury, injury issues. So maybe that's why the interest wasn't as strong. But when he's going good like he is, you know, they got him some runs last night too which, you know, that, that takes a lot of pressure off Cueto. And, you know, that you look at that rotation now with him in there, what it potentially can be, um, you know, like, again, this, this could be a good team. Scott, as always, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. If you want to read some really fantastic White Sox coverage, the Daily Herald and Scott Greger, he does a wonderful job, and we thank him for joining us today. Thank you, Lawrence. Time to cap it off, presented by Chevy. Look, it's been a rough road for White Sox fans this entire time, right? You wanted to see this team be a World Series contender. Like Scott said, there is still time. But the idea is, how do you get the buy back in by White Sox fans? Well, a couple things happened so far in this series that I think are actually things that might bring White Sox fans around. Number one, all of us celebrated when we were watching Tim Anderson run full speed. Like, it was first to home, Tim Anderson. It was stealing his 100th base, Tim Anderson. We all know that that guy is the spark plug for this offense. So if he's got his legs back under him, it's a wonderful thing. The other part was the power that they showed and the backbone to go from a 3-0 deficit to just pounding the Angels in last night's game. Let's hope that all of those things are things that we can hope that they will do for the rest of the season. Thanks for watching Unfiltered, powered by Points. If you miss any of the show, check it out on NBC Sports Chicago's YouTube page. For the entire episode, you can watch it. Thanks, Cap, for letting me play in this sandbox.